I think I was the piece of the puzzle that they were missing. And between me and Sonia Warfield, the writer, Erica Dunbar, who is the black historian yes. on it. And then obviously Danae uh, being very protective of that character. We were able together to kind of steer this ship to give it the nuance. Because I always say you need more than one in the room. My yeah. black mm. perspective is different than Danae's. It's different than Erica's. I cannot speak for all black people, nor can they. Mm-hmm. So that's what gives it the layers of all of us having th- those experiences. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Brittany. And this is For Colored Nerds. The weekly show where we peel back the layers of Black culture that we rarely discuss in mixed company. Today's episode is about Black characters in period dramas. You might know a few fan favorites, Hamilton, The Great, Bridgerton, and The Gilded Age. Join us as we chat with Martine Powers, host of Post Reports, the Washington Post's daily news podcast, and period drama superfan. We'll talk all about what works and what doesn't in these shows. And after that, we have an amazing interview with director and executive producer of The Gilded Age, Sally Richardson-Whitfield. All that and more after the break. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So Eric, even though this episode is about period pieces, you have not always been on board with this genre. That's probably putting it lightly. I was a hater. Uh, I was not into it. The pomp and circumstance, it was hard for me to get through. And then also, they're typically very white. <laughs> like the, the, the content in general is typically very, very white. And also connected to a level of wealth that is hard for me to fathom. But that said, I, I think I was probably wrong. And there's mm. some good stuff in there. I, mm. I would not. I've come around. Yeah, how, how did you come around? I would say a few things. So one, I saw The Favorite, and just The Favorite was an excellent movie. Very good. And I was like, oh, wait, this is good. Maybe I need to go back and see what else is popping. <laughs> You're like, perhaps here. this extremely popular genre that millions of people have loved for centuries. That's maybe I was wrong about. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I was wrong about. <laughs> but then I also recently discovered The Great. It's this period drama on Hulu. It's very ridiculous, very funny. And it follows the rise of Catherine the Great in, like, 18th century Russia. And so, you know, I'm watching it, and I'm loving it, and then I start seeing these Black characters pop up, and I'm like, whoa, okay, you have my attention. And then it turns out from a little bit of Googling that there's some historical basis for this. So I'm Mm. I'm hooked. I'm into it. I'm just glad that you're there. I mean, I would say I have been into period pieces for a minute. I've really gotten into them in the past two years. Maybe it's just like the simplicity of the stories is comforting (laughs) during the pandemic. I don't know. But 
I think the thing that initially got me hooked was the 2005 Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice. Okay. Also I've starring. Heard, I've heard a lot about you've it. You've heard from a you. lot about it over the years. That movie is good. The soundtrack is also fire. And it doesn't just star Kira Knightley. I don't know if you know this. It stars as Mr. Darcy, like the hot boy of the time, Matthew McFadden, aka wow. Tom Wamsgams. Huh. Okay. For those of us who watch Succession. But I've been really intrigued by how, like, so many of these newer period shows and period dramas are quite literally integrating Black characters yeah. into the narrative. I'll be honest, I, I wasn't always going to period pieces looking for Black characters. <laughs> I was kind of fine with them not being there. Sometimes, like, you just want to see a story about 18th century England. or It's like if, if I see, you know, like monsoon wedding i don't need like a bunch of white people in the background do you know what i'm saying like it's yeah. fine just to have the setting be the setting yeah but, we were expecting some some white excellence you know exactly, and then, like, then we popped up exactly <laughs> literally exactly but you know there's a show though that that's come out that's really captured my heart and and like my penchant for drama and gossip um that has done a really good job, I think, of incorporating a Black character into the mix or Black characters into the mix, which is everyone's current favorite period soap opera, The Gilded Age. It's currently streaming on HBO Max. And the character of Peggy Scott, the Black character played by Danae Benton, who's fantastic, uh, she's my favorite character. She is a Black woman from Brooklyn who's an aspiring journalist and has this interesting interior life of her own away from all the white characters on the show. I would say it's amazing. And Black people are in the Gilded Age. They're popping up in the great. And I feel like we have been noticing this, but I'm excited to say that we're not the only ones who have noticed this trend. In fact, today we are chatting with Washington Post podcast host, Martine Powers. She is a longtime fan of the genre, and she came on the show to talk with us about what these shows are getting right and what can go very, very, very wrong. We get into all your faves, Hamilton, The Great, The Spanish Princess, and of course, The Gilded Age. Take a listen. Well, Martine, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to talk to you. Thank yes, you for having welcome. me. Okay, so we know, Eric and I know, that in addition to being a journalist and hosting the Washington Post's daily news show, that you're a big fan of period films and TV shows, but what makes you love them so much, as much as you do? That's a really good question. Because it does feel like the thing that... I'm still a little bit embarrassed about because I think that period pieces get a bad rap because sometimes they can be pretty extra in certain ways. <laughs> but um, but I do think that like one of the reasons why I have always loved period pieces and I think we're, was um, maybe a little bit predisposed to them um, mm. is because of my mom. Um, my mom's from Trinidad. Um, and so I think that if you are the kid of someone uh, from the West Indies, like mm. that, that they grow up in this like British school system mm. that really reveres like British stuff, British isms, and books and TV shows and movies about like British life. There were, you know, there were Jane Austen books that my mom was forced to read in high school. <laughs> and then I think the other thing that I love about period pieces is that I feel like I've always really related to them mm. in a weird way um, because I think that they're about 
a lot of small moments and small Mm. lives, if that Mm. makes sense, that um, a period piece uh, is often centered around, like, this young woman who's trying to, like, make her way in the world or figure out who she is or, you know, find a husband or whatever, but (laughs) that it's really about, like, oh, somebody looked at me in a certain way and that really meant something or like this thing is happening with my family and that's really upsetting to me and I feel like you know as a 15 year old who's super nerdy and really awkward I could really relate to like oh and then this boy touched my hand accidentally but I feel like it really meant something that I think that it really um taps into something that's very universal about how we relate to the people around around us and our families and ourselves um so that's why I enjoy them. But I'm curious if, if you guys are, are period piece fans as well. Newly. Yeah, I, I, I would say I have just recently come to it. The like over the pandemic uh, and before it's worth, I would say I also was a hater, too. I was a period piece <laughs> hater. You big were time. aggressively, <laughs> especially like the British kind of Victorian era of mm-hmm. it all. I like really struggled. But uh I think, you know, then I kind of sat with it a little bit. You, I think you find you have to find your one mm-hmm. uh, that, like, brings you in. And I think that has helped me a lot. And for what it's worth, I feel like a lot of the things that you're saying are a lot of the reasons, you know, a, a bunch of people like period pieces, even if, you know, we feel a bit ashamed at, at saying it. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm 35 and nerdy and awkward. So, like, you know, I, I hell, uh, a good hand-holding, <laughs> hey, you know, it's a nice day. But, um <laughs> You know, I think that the thing we also know about period pieces and films and shows is that they can be a really problematic genre for Black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I think part of the reason we're really excited to have you here today is to really kind of like dig into that. Uh, and, you know, we were thinking we could get started by like talking about the things we actually feel don't work. Because those are the things that usually <laughs> pop up first in my mind. I mean, there are a lot of examples of stuff that doesn't work. So during lockdown, like for me, was the time that I realized that like, how much I actually really did love period stuff. So I had been talking to Eric for years about watching the Kira Knightley 2005 directed by Joe Wright version of Pride <laughs> oh and Prejudice God. because my it's head. very good. I just have to say, you always introduce it kind of like that. Like, I, like the Joe Wright, like, year because. it came out, like, Kira Knightley starred. You, but that's you how you do thing. it. You, like, you start with the year and then you have the director. Exactly. You know, because there's so many adaptations of the same thing. There's exactly. Like, there's, like, ten Pride and Prejudices. So you have to be very specific. Exactly. Fair. People are usually talking about either the ten-part series that was on the BBC in the 90s with Colin Firth, or they are talking about the one with Kira Knightley and Tom Wamsgans. But that movie I always loved. But I didn't realize how much I really loved period stuff until I had lots of time to watch a lot of different things. And I was like, I realized that me and my fiance were always gravitating toward that stuff. Got super into Downton Abbey, finally watched Sense and Sensibility. So I was really excited when Bridgerton was announced. For those who don't know, it's like a period drama, but more like a period romantic comedy uh, created by Shonda Rhimes, set in Regency era England. Um, where the eight siblings of the Bridgerton family are trying to find love or really more so like secure their financial future if you think about it in Regency terms. And the series mainly follows Daphne Bridgerton. Um, She is a white woman and her romance with Simon Bassett, Duke of Hastings, who's a black man. When I actually watched Bridgerton, I was disappointed, actually. I got a, a mostly really warm response. There was some critique, but overwhelmingly it seemed like people liked it. But I wanted to know how you... Martine felt about Bridgerton. So, yeah, I think I had a similar 
hopefulness about Bridgerton that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it was Shonda Rhimes. And to me, it felt like it was a very specific message of like, okay, we see you black women who have loved these movies for years yeah. and we're making something that is for you. Mm-hmm. But but the way that they did it, I mean, it's... Um, I loved the colorblind casting and I loved um, a lot of the, the choices and the Duke of Hastings is great and he's hot and like he's a great actor and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I loved him in it. But I also felt like there was this weird like undertone of we're not talking about race until we mm-hmm. do talk about it and that mm-hmm. it alludes to like, oh, this is this, you know, 19th century post-racial society and they like make some reference to this like racial reckoning that had happened before and now everyone's equal and it was just it was weird like it was just a weird way to deal with it and i i found that kind of frustrating i I don't know what you were thinking Brittany. no i did find it kind of frustrating i mean one of my biggest issues with the show is that like it deals so much with class and nobility and then they have like they reference this off-screen racial reckoning that <laughs> where everybody's supposed to be equal. And yet when I watch the show, I still feel like I'm watching a lot of the same um sort of like white supremacist media tropes like sort mm. of come out, like the dark skin abusive deadbeat black yeah. father yeah. and like the mother who like dies in childbirth and isn't to be seen again. Mm. And yeah. like the, you know, the young black woman coming in. Um to society who's also being brought out at the same time a lot of the, the other like white young ladies in town who is black and she shows up already pregnant and like this you know older white lady can't understand why all the guys in town are way more interested in this young black woman than any of her white daughters like it's a post racial society but a lot of the same things that happen um that either uh, like same dynamics that play out in real life as with sort of like the older white lady being confounded by the attractiveness or the apparent mm-hmm. attractiveness of this young black woman, or the same like tropes that we see in all other media with black people, um, as with the father and like the black woman being pregnant out of wedlock. Those feel like tropes that happen in media all the time. But also like the show is so much about class and nobility. And it's hard for me to think about where the money <laughs> that supports <laughs> that class and nobility is coming from. Like totally. if not the slave trade and like colonialism and all of these mm-hmm. other things that do directly involve Black people at the time, but are totally ignored on the show. Like, I just feel like they don't talk about how any of these people got their wealth. Um, and But, like, it, the fact that there's all these interracial relationships m- makes it fine. And, or the fact that, like, this Black, this supposedly mixed-race Queen of England like gave a black man like a high ranking position in society is supposed to be something meaningful for everyone. Now that actually Mm -hmm. I say that, I'm like, this is very much just like liberal politics. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I feel bad because like I'm one of the ones who enjoyed Bridgerton a little bit. I did have a lot of the same feelings that like you did. I think what maybe allowed uh, me to continue watching it was just it felt very much kind of like what people were describing Emily in Paris to be. Emily in Paris is much worse than this. True. Fair. That is fair. It is a better (laughs) show. It's a better executed show all around. But in terms of like the tropes of the characters within it, like there's kind of like, you know, this white woman who, uh, you know, is kind of walking into the space to try to like stake her claim on the world and, you know, like is running into kind of headwind and people don't understand her everywhere and she has to figure it out. But I'm not going to lie, the Duke was really good as a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There was something about his character that I was, like, into and allowed me to, like, just 
kind of like sit with the mess of it all. But I can't, I can't lie. The, all the stuff you said was there and actually hearing it back to me makes me feel worse about uh, enjoying <laughs> it as much as I did. I mean, for, for me, I feel like the way that I think about Bridgerton is that it's, it feels less to me like a period piece and more like straight up fantasy. Mm. And I feel like that's the sort of like psychological nuance that I had to make to be like, I don't actually even put this in the same category of other things I'm watching because it feels like there's a lot that um, doesn't make sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wanted to like it. I'll say the acting was good. The costumes were beautiful. And I was impressed overall with the cast. I'm not going to lie. Daphne Bridgerton, little sauceless to me. <laughs> she was a little sauceless to me. No disrespect to the woman in real life. I'm just saying they gave her no earrings, no makeup, terrible bangs. <laughs> and they were like this fine-ass man, the finest man in the whole Duke. Okay. <laughs> In the whole area of London, okay, big city, big time stuff, and I just was like, "This is okay." I, that for me was the biggest sus- suspension of my disbelief. Was like, did, "Is this believable for me?" And the answer was no. It feels like like the Bridgerton model uh, of how they incorporated black folks was, you know, somewhat race inclusive. The Duke was black, Queen Charlotte, or was black, you know, and there's maybe a historical connection there, but uh, you know. Race, race inclusive feels generous for Bridgerton. It feels hard to say, but it, I think that is what they were going for. Mm-hmm. But I think there's another path that shows are exploring, you know, new shows like even Anne Boylan, um, which is coming in June on AMC Plus that stars Jodie Turner-Smith. She's playing the titular role, Anne Boylan, who we, you know, maybe all know was a white woman who got her head cut off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it, they're exploring this by bending her race. They are, they have made her a black woman. And, you know, she was the second and most controversial wife of Henry VIII because of the fact that she was beheaded for treason. We've seen this story a few times. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned, there's a lot of different remakes, but we have never seen it with a black woman playing the lead character. We have not seen it, but you, Martine, it seems like have maybe caught a bit of the show. Yeah, yeah, I, I watched it. It's Jodie Turner-Smith is Anne Boleyn, and her brother is played by Papa Esiedu. Um mm. And then there's one other character who's black who's like her kind of head handmaiden or whatever. But, but the fact that there are these three black characters and everyone else is white does like play into this feeling of isolation that she has or that mm. this whole court is turning against her or everyone is looking at her like, why are you here? Like, why does he like you so much and is trying to bring her down? And so I feel like the casting of that really enhance that dynamic of like what it feels like to be truly alone in the situation there are other ways that I, I feel like it didn't work or it felt weird or I didn't like find it believable especially because she's a black woman like mm. she would not have gotten herself into the situation in the first place frankly <laughs> um, but um but but I, I think it's an interesting model because because it, it's basically like the Hamilton model right yes like, when when you cast uh non-white actors as uh, famous figures who we know were white, like, what does that bring to the dynamic? Or what is that, like, how does that sort of explore some of the tensions between who this person was in real life and who we wanted them to be or who we, mm. h- how we think of them now? I'm so glad you say that, because, like, honestly, that is, that is a part of the reason why I actually struggle with Hamilton a little bit. Like, mm. I know I'm in the, like, apparently in the very small minority, but mm. everybody was into Hamilton because it felt like because of the race bending. But it made me uncomfortable because I felt like 
you know, racism and uh, racist sentiment were really, really prevalent back then. And it felt like some of the people who, you know, were black and Latino that I was like rooting for in that context, probably in real life held, uh, were not fucking with black folks or the folks or the, you know, the actors who were playing their roles. They, you know, might not have been um, as generous or as like empathetic. So it was like, I enjoyed the story, but I struggle with like, were these like how the flipping of their race or, or bending of their race made me have a degree of empathy for someone who I think historically I probably would not have had as much for. I struggle with that with Hamilton too, um, especially the character of Jefferson, because mm. <laughs> I like, and, and I love David Diggs and I love the soundtrack. And I just feel it's like it, in some ways, I love the casting of that because it does highlight the gap between what Jefferson was saying and mm. who he was in real life and the values that he actually lived, which were very different from the values he was espousing. And so you sort of, by hearing his words come out of David Diggs' mouth, like you, you get that 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 starkness even more. So what did I miss? What did I miss? Virginia, my home sweet home, I wanna give you a kiss. I've been in Paris meeting lots of different ladies. I guess I basically missed the late '80s. I traveled the wide, wide world and came back to this. But um. But yeah, but I, I have mixed feelings, and I, my my feelings about it have grown more mixed over time. Hmm. Brittany, I don't know how you feel about Hamilton. It's interesting. Hamilton is one of those uh, pop cultural phenomena that I have never seen, heard, or listened to. <laughs> it missed me completely. <laughs> I missed it. Missed. Okay, after a while, okay, so it missed me at first. <laughs> and then after a while, I did go through a phase where I would just tell people that I had seen it. So that they wouldn't just straight up lie to them. Yeah, because the thing is that then if you people, I realized what would happen at first. People were like, "Have you seen Hamilton?" And I'd be like, "No, I haven't seen." It. They'd be like, "Oh my god!" And then it would become this whole what? conversation where they were like, "Tell me why I need to see Hamilton." Some people were just like, "Have you seen Hamilton?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> like I'm familiar with the story, and also like I ended up doing a lot of research connected to people who participated in the show, and I've like watched elements of live performance or whatever, even without understanding the full scope of the uh, performance. I also have seen the documentary about Lynn Manuel Miranda putting on a show, like putting on Hamilton, like in Puerto Rico, the whole thing. I think the thing for me about Hamilton is that I am not sure that I fully understand what the ultimate goal of putting mm. all these people, like, uh, I guess to me, the ultimate goal of making the show seems like you're like, I don't know, like Eric, you've mentioned like you're like you end up rooting for some of these characters. But like yeah. you said, like at the end of the day, none of these people should be glorified. And when I think about someone like Lin Manuel Miranda, who has like all of the education, all of the resources, very connected family. And so I'm like, you have to have awareness of all of these other stories that would be so interesting to tell, um, featuring some of his same, like some of the same tools that he's used, you know, to tell stories like Tick Tick Boom or like in the Heights. Mm -hmm both of which I have seen. Um, but <laughs> I just like at the end of the day, like even though it's like the race bent casting is meant to like provoke the audience into thinking or maybe changing their point of view. I still feel like ultimately, like, I don't know when you tell a story, you're trying to get the audience to put themselves in the shoes of a character. And I'm just like, are these people 
characters that are worth putting, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, mm. are, are yeah. worth mm-hmm. me putting the, my feet in in their shoes. And I, so I, I understand it's meant to provoke, but I'm just like, ultimately though, the goal still feels like we're furthering sort of like the knowledge of and the history of Alexander Hamilton. And I can't help but think like how that energy could have been put towards something else. Hmm. I hope people don't come for me. <laughs> no, I mean, I think what you said is really fair. I think the biggest question for me of how that pops up is the is maybe a bit of the who is it for, you know? Mm. Uh, mm. Because I think that, again, like, like that provocation of empathy is probably not as strange if you're white coming into this and maybe trying to think differently about how to access some of these stories mm, or, yeah. or about who can be participating in some of these stories. But like as, you know, for me, my black ass, I'm just like... Uh, Ooh, but may, wait, you making me sympathize with someone who might have been... I, let me look up there. Can I see their writings? Can I see their letters? Let me make sure, <laughs> you know, they were checking for Black folks. And that is, I don't know, it's a bit harder. With the casting, one thing I will say, though, I do appreciate the thoroughness in casting people of color in those roles. Like, there, it seemed like, rather, there was an intention behind the casting. <laughs> Whereas sometimes I think when Black people are included in um, these sorts of period pieces, it's like they're peppering us in, like for flavor or like parsley or like a kicky purse or something like that, like as an accessory. Whereas like, even if um, I have a lot of questions about like the point of the project of Hamilton, I understand though, that like there was a specific intent behind the casting and that like they've maintained consistency uh, around that throughout all of the iterations of the show, whether it be on Broadway, on tour, at the White House, there is a reason why people of color, at the very least, are cast in these roles, as opposed to it being sort of like, you know what, let's uh, let's put some, let's put some Negroes in the background. Up. <laughs> Mix it up a little bit. Well, that, that, that kind of like peppering and approach I, that's how i sort of feel about the great um mm. and eric i know that you watched the great and i'd love to hear kind of what Let's... you think about that <laughs> so in this i feel like is relevant because and this is the part that feels like we're shifting to the what does work at least for me mm-hmm. the great is a maybe a complicated one to start with so to tell you a bit more about the show the great is a show that airs on hulu it's very much a fictionalized version of the rise of Catherine the Great, um, you know, who came to actually like rule Russia uh, for I, just a ridiculous amount of time. It brands itself as a sometimes true story. Um, and there is a lot of truth to it, but they do take a lot of liberties. But one of the <laughs> things that was interesting is like in the second episode, a black nobleman appears. And I'm like... Wait, what are we doing here? I actually, I, you know, I came into it expecting, honestly, it's, it's, it's 18th century Russia. I'm like, I'm probably never going to see a black person. That's fine because I'm not expecting it. Uh, and then this black nobleman comes into the court uh, and is having conversation, you know, with the, uh, the, the emperor, the ruler. And so, like, I'm like, wait, what is going on? I start to do a bit of research. And it turns out that there actually were some black noblemen uh, that, who existed uh, historically hmm. during this time. And there was a, uh, I won't say like a healthy amount of black people there, but there were black people living free in Russia at that time. Um, their ideals about race had not fully crystallized as uh, definitively at that point. And so anyway, race is not actually addressed in the show, but the ways that race pops up felt very kind of natural 
And without some of the moralizing that the folks of like Bridgerton felt that they maybe had to include because they were changing <laughs> shit up so much. And so that allowed me to kind of really roll with how they were doing it. And it's finished the second season and it's so fun. What did y'all think, Martine? It's actually really insightful to hear you say that because I feel like that was the question that was running through my head the whole time of like, really, were they really black people here in like <laughs> Catherine the Great Russia or whatever? But and so knowing that that existed makes me feel a little better about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's like that's the thing that I kind of stopped paying attention to in the mm. show. There's so many departures they take from reality and the way huh. they, they talk to each other and then the, the way they <laughs> make jokes. And it's like all very crass, all like. Lots of sex jokes all the time. It's um, a lot. But agree, you were wrong, and that the diamond is pretty, and move on. It is pretty. Thank you. We shall be as one in public. Huzzah. Shall I eat your pussy? I have blood. Which I like in a sausage, but not a pussy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I, I kind of, I and and I enjoy how how much they are like using the the costumes and the setting to just do what is a very like contemporary comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in that way, I feel like it works for me. It kind of feels divorced from uh, like trying to embody some historical era, and then it doesn't feel weird that like the 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 casting sometimes feels uh, random, but in other ways, it's just like fun and enjoyable. Um, yeah. I don't know. Brittany, what do you think? It's actually really nice to know that, like, there actually were Black people around at that time. I think it's really interesting. And it, it's interesting to think that, like, of all the places where they totally break from reality and history, that that was something that they chose to keep in. But I really enjoyed The Great. I think it's really funny. I'm a big Elle Fanning fan. So it's, like, not... It's no stress for me to watch something with Elle Fanning <laughs> in it. And I think she's so, so great on the show and, like, matches, like, the tone of the show perfectly. I like the fact that the show it includes characters of color for the most part. I'm going to come back to that in a second. For the most part, it includes characters of color, specifically Black characters, where it seems to make the most sense. But also the mm-hmm. show is not making it... Is not trying to make a grand statement about race. I think that's where yeah. I get caught up sometimes with Hamilton or Bridgerton or, uh, you know, some of these other shows, because they seem like they're trying to make a statement about race, whereas The Great is just, I don't know what they're trying to do. It's fun. (laughs) I don't know what what they're trying to do. But I will say um, that guy Count Orloff is actually played by an Asian actor. He's, like, mixed into the cast as a person of color. I think that The Great does does a good job of, like, finding a way to sort of, like, fuck with history and make it fun to watch in the context of the show. I just appreciate the fact that they're, like, they're not trying to tell me anything about race. They're not trying to make me think about it too yes. hard and i kind of <laughs> like that the show doesn't think about it too hard but i know that there's a show that you like martine that eric and i know less about but you think is doing this sort of like black people in period piece really well mm-hmm. um so tell us about yes. it so i have been watching a show called the spanish princess which is like so peak period piece like so deep into like british kings and queens and you have to like know all the family relationships or whatever um, it's sort of related to anne boleyn because this is about um henry the first wife mm-hmm. who is catherine of aragon who was the one who she just like got to go away and live out her years by herself. So this is the first wife who's from Spain and she's like brought into England because she's going to bring all this like money and wealth and power with her. And she has a like, I don't know what the proper term is, like a 
like head lady in waiting whose name is Catalina or Lina. And she is, you know, I think what they would have called at the time like a Moor. Like she mm. is a black woman mm. from Spain who you learn grew up Muslim or was or her parents are Muslim and she converts to Catholicism. Um, and this is a character who's based on a real person. And she's this fascinating lady. She is, like, there to serve the queen. But then as time goes on, she sort of goes out and forges her own life. Um, wow. And she meets this other soldier named Oviedo, who's also black. And he's, like, trying to convince her to ditch the queen so that they could just, like, go live their lives together and have their beautiful babies and, uh, you know, go someplace else where they're more welcomed. And, um, and she just has this really great journey um, and growth over the course of the series and the fact that she's based on a real person i thought was so exciting and something yeah. that we don't see that often i think that this is the model of what works really well that i get mm. the most excited hmm. about like this i think bell is a good example the movie from a few years ago with right. about the raw mm. that was based on um like a, a painting about uh i think you know what they called like a mulatta woman um that uh that i think like navigated this really well. Um, I think the Gilded Age is a good example of this, of that there were real people living real interesting lives yeah. who were not white at this time. And we can we don't have to like invent ways to incorporate non-white people. We can just find the stories of people who are actually there yes. and who we just haven't explored so far. That has been my whole thing with the Gilded <laughs> Age. <laughs> the Gilded Age is this show that comes on HBO. The first season just finished. Um, it's a historical drama set in 1880s New York, and it follows like New York's upper crust society and the people that serve them and basically keep their homes and businesses running. Um, and the story mainly follows this character named Marion um, as she sort of is introduced to all of this society through her very rich aunts. Also, for the record, my feelings about Marion are the same about your feelings of Daphne from Bridgerton, where I'm like, how we, is this girl the main character? We, I have the same feelings about Marion. So <laughs> there might be the biggest consensus on that one. Like, oh my god, so boring. What? I, nothing is happening in your life. Nothing. So boring. <laughs> but the character that I love the most is Peggy Scott. Peggy Scott, played by Danae Benton, who's phenomenal mm. in this role. Um, also played Eliza in Hamilton. If you want to mm. see, look at that. Yeah. A little full circle moment. A little full circle moment. <laughs> She's like a period um, piece lady. <laughs> she is definitely a period piece lady. But Peggy Scott is this character who is like the secretary of one of Marion's aunts. Um, but she also is like this aspiring journalist. And she has like a secret past and like a love interest and like a whole family <laughs> in Brooklyn that she has scenes with that don't actually include any of the white characters on the show like she actually is a historically accurate realistic three-dimensional portrayal of a black person in a period setting specifically in the time between like reconstruction and the harlem renaissance we don't even really yeah. see black people in the media during yeah. that period mm -hmm. of time i don't know i've seen some people say like oh it, it, the character of peggy is so great because she's not a domestic servant Lots of black people did that work. My ancestors did that work. So I can't look down on it. It's an honest living. Um, what is most important to me, though, is that she has her own life that is not dependent upon the actions of the other characters on the show. Um, and that mm -hmm. feels like something that feels like a little bit new to me with The Gilded mm -hmm. Age. 
And and what I think also feels new is her relationship with Marion. Mm. Um, and so so they like end up kind of living in the same house because Peggy's working for Marion's aunt as a secretary. Um, and so they're friends, but you can also tell that she's like straight up irritated yes. by Marion often <laughs> because Marion is an irritating character. But you know, like there's that scene that happens where Marion's like, oh, I gotta like go find her family and see where she uh, lives because I like want to know more about her life. Like, I don't even understand her motivation here. So she goes to find the family um, and she shows up at Peggy's house and is just like visibly shocked that they're like, well-to-do, like, it's a nice house, <laughs> and her parents are very well-dressed. Miss Brooke. I'm Marion Brooke, Mrs. Scott. What are you doing here? I thought I'd surprise you. You succeeded. Miss Brooke is the niece of Mrs. Van Ryan. Why have you come? What Mr. Scott means is My why... daughter works for your aunt. Why are you here uninvited? Martha. What's in the bag? Well, I I wanted to bring something useful. And then she opens up this bag of old shoes that she thinks she's going to donate to donate to Peggy's family and she's just I mean, she's embarrassed in that moment. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> She just, it's such a, it's so embarrassing. It's just mortifying for everyone. She's also functionally broke, too. Like, at yes. that time. Yes. Can't, can't miss that. When Peggy and Marion met, it's because they met at the at the train station in Pennsylvania. And the reason why they even got in contact with each other is because Marion didn't have no money for the train. Okay? So she had to sit back in the colored car. Okay? She was baroque. Yes. Peggy was lending her money. And that's what I love about that scene where... Like, Marion's embarrassed, and Peggy's like, why are you here? And then she's straight up like, girl, I, I gave you train fare. Like, don't look at me. <laughs> you know, like, and I, I've never seen that play out in, like, a period piece before yeah. of her being like, who are you? Like, get out of my face. And I appreciated that. There's something you bring up that I feel like is the, actually one of the biggest things that I love about it. Uh, is there's so much really good subtext. Mm. So, like, Peggy be looking at Marion, like... <laughs> Oh my god. Yes. Like you got one more fucking time. Or like or like really? This is what you're doing? Like what is going on with you? Like it is so good. It's not just from Peggy. Like there's so much subtext with all of the black environments that they end up in. There's a really good scene where Peggy and her mom played by fucking Audra McDonald. And they're at this like black restaurant uh, where they're trying to have a conversation. And there's so much little detail. Like the restaurant is a little darker. There's not as much like sunlight because, you know, they weren't really trying to offer us prime real estate at that point, mm. even just in terms of how people interact. So Peggy and her mom are, you know, as uh, Martine, you kind of alluded to there, they ain't broke. They do it mm -mm. all right, you know, uh, for black folks at that time, especially. And the restaurant feels like it's kind of like, uh, it's not quite what uh, Audra McDonald, the, the mother, uh, the character is used to. You have to forgive him. He was just protecting you. From what? From a poor choice that could have ruined your life. Well, I'm back in New York anyway. <laughs> Why did you choose this place? I like it. When will you come home? I've told you, I have a job. And you also can see the folks who are eating just kind of looking over like, where are y'all come from? Like, y'all don't usually <laughs> be around here, you know, and just like kind of looking at them like, OK, we're black, you're black. 
but you're still out of place. I love those like allusions mm. to just the real ways that we interact and like exist in a space. I think they get that very right. Totally, totally. Yeah, even I think about there's one scene when they were all eating dinner at, at the Scott's house for Peggy's mother's birthday. And there is an allusion to a relative who was enslaved. Make you lose your whole appetite. He'd take a fork full of eggs, then dip that same fork into the jelly. <laughs> I was always picking little bits of egg out of my jelly. Are you trying to ruin our luncheon? He ruined my breakfast for years. <laughs> what happened to him? Oh, they, uh, they sold him away before emancipation came. God bless him. And, you know, this story is taking place in 1882. So this is like, or nearly 20 years um, after emancipation. And it's pretty clear that this is like a Northern family, but of like, but they have migrated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's clear that they have roots yeah. that are further down South. Um, and that slavery is still alive in some way for them. And I appreciate the fact that that is something that has been like, you know, somewhat included in a narrative because I mean, truthfully, something that we haven't touched on is like, the fact that movies and TV shows that focus on the stories of enslaved black people, at least in, in the United States, those are period pieces too. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of hard yeah. to maybe give them the same kind of romantic comedy treatment that I think is what we're looking for a lot of yeah. the time when, or what people mean when they say quote unquote period piece in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a great point. The great, for example, the great is a kind of, it's not mm -hmm. slapstick, but it can be at times. Like, it's just like a very ridiculous, like, comedy uh, send-up of what we might imagine this time to be. I don't think you could set that ever at a plantation in an antebellum South. There's too much terror, horror, and, like, trauma. There's just, there's so many limited contexts in which, like, telling stories about, or, or like, kind of returning to that period mm -hmm. runs up against that like it just makes it so hard uh understandably because the time period was hard I, yeah the it's thing just like, that, like it's a lot came closest to that maybe was Django Unchained which I you know people have a lot of feelings about I have a lot of feelings <laughs> about but I think you know was trying to like find a way to bring a different tonality to what is going to be a very hard scary sad story um so there were parts of Django that I did like I will lie but like even that is such a complicated movie for me because of like what it means for Quentin Tarantino to mm -hmm. find and explore that humor almost yes. on our yes. behalf and yeah. you know <laughs> he's a complicated <laughs> figure in my in my life there's some good movies but yeah. like it's hard it's hard i'm a person who definitely believes that like when when it comes to the sort of like how do we feel about quote unquote slave movies conversation i fall firmly on the side of we don't have enough there's so many stories that haven't been told the biggest issue is the fact that people usually don't do them very well but that's a different conversation <laughs> for another time but i do think though that like what that does point to is territory that still is rich for storytelling mm -hmm. um when it comes to period pieces um i I can't think of a way to sort of approach that 
time, like I said, with sort of like maybe the slice of life storytelling that we're looking for, that we're really saying when we say, you know, quote unquote, period piece, thinking about what I want out of a period piece or what I want out of period pieces in the future, I would be really open to seeing a Black person try to figure that out and see what something like that might might look like. But I wonder, like Martine, like what do you want from period pieces moving forward? I think that what I love about period pieces of that like smallness of the of the like tiny nuances in people's lives or tiny moments, like I want to see more of that mm. for black people, right? Like I don't want to see just the stories mm. of black people who are t- trying to take down racism or trying to like, you know, turn the world upside down or whatever. Like I want little romantic stories and I mm. want little like family dramas that yeah. have stakes that are so low and that are just like lovely and relaxing and wonderful to watch. That's what I want more of. It's weird. I I come back to the great a lot just because it's it was so different than a lot of the things I expected. I think initially I I used to like bristle my nose up at kind of the small moments romance of it and and don't get to this. I'm not above that. Like the like there are a lot of those movies that are really good and they work. Um but a lot of for what I enjoy are the the more like definitive rebellions between the characters. The great actually pops up a lot with that as well. Like, you know, Catherine, who's supposed to be this very kind of like sometimes naive, but strangely effective uh, white woman who's also trying to change like Russian society. And she's kind of running headfirst into Nicholas Holt. He's this kind of like imbecilic, uh, you know, pinnacle of the old way and the old idea. And so like seeing them clash and have it be funny and ridiculous and sometimes really dark, was really surprising to me, and I really enjoyed that. And I think I got elements of that mm. from things like The Favorite or The Handmaiden. And I kind of want I want mm. more of that for Black people, too. I understand that's more difficult as you go back, yeah. uh, you know, t- to maybe find the right context. But to your point, Brittany, w- like, you know, imagine the bounty. If we did, if we did the research, if we'd found that thing and were able to kind of tell some of those stories right, we're, we... We deserve to see ourselves not just in different time periods, mm. but in different contexts yeah. within yes. those time periods. And I think like that feels like so much of what we're pulling out. Can y'all do that? It makes me think of that book, Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments by uh, Dr. Cydia Hartman. Um, like that is one of the coolest books I ever read. And it's basically just like stories about black people at like the turn of the century, sort of like the 1900s kind of like till through like the 1920s in Philadelphia and New York. And it's mostly about like black women who are just doing the damn thing. Like not interested in working, not interested in getting married, not interested in having kids. It leaves them a lot of time to do a lot of fun stuff that I have yet to see explored. <laughs> like in a movie or on a TV show. So like I feel like I'm like, look, that would be a good place to look. That's just my opinion. But um, I mean, I, 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 it feels like we're an interesting place with Black people in, in period pieces, you know, and that sort of slice of life, sort of like historical drama, historical romance period pieces um, that so many people seem to love in in TV and films and books as well. Uh, but I'm curious to see, you know, where things go. Um, but Martine, thank you so much for joining us today. You were like the best person possible to talk about. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was such a joy. All right. Talking to Martine was so fun that honestly, uh, I'm thinking about handholding and all the things I'm glad we could 
also bond over just hating on Marion. Yeah. Look, I'm gonna be honest. I know that the Gilded Age has been renewed for a second season. Maybe Marion has time to get more saucy and come back. Um, <laughs> but you know, I just want to say she got to step it up. She got to step her game up for season two because, you know, it's Team Peggy over here. <laughs> Hardcore, hardcore. And the fact that we were all able to articulate <laughs> that we want more interiority in Black characters, just like Peggy, but that we also like some Black period traumas of our own. It may be complicated to accomplish, maybe very complicated to accomplish, <laughs> but I think that's really an untapped space. But guess what? We are not done with you yet. We are not done yet. After the break, we'll get to talk to the woman behind the camera of The Gilded Age, actress and director, Sally Richardson Whitfield. Make sure you come back. Doors take us to summers away. Or winter adventures. And afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back. Welcome back. So as I said before the break, our next interview is with Sally Richardson Whitfield. You may know her acting from Mo Money, A Lowdown, Dirty Shame, and Posse. But since 2011, she's directed episodes of Queen Sugar, Luke Cage, Blackish, and many, many more of your faves. This year, she's tackling two of HBO's biggest period shows, The Gilded Age and Winning Time. Yes. We're going to talk about her career, the Gilded Age, that very, very embarrassing scene between Marion and Peggy, mm. and how she approaches her work. So let's jump right in. Sally Richardson Whitfield, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you here today. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you. To jump right in. So you are a director of quite a few episodes and also the executive producer of the series, The Gilded Age on HBO, which we have been loving. It is juicy. 
It is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and oh, we have, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is, it is juicy. And we specifically have um, obviously become attached to the character of Peggy Scott, played by Danae Benton. But talk to us about how you got attached to this project. It is kind of one of those crazy stories. So I had, before we actually started shooting, I was supposed to come on to direct two episodes, like a year before. This is right before COVID. Mm -hmm. I was in Europe shooting The Wheel of Time Mm -hmm. for Amazon. And at that time, I was supposed to be doing two episodes. And we started, I was supposed to literally be getting off of a plane, going straight to New York from Prague to start prep and everything. But I could see, you know, I was in Europe, so I could see what was happening. Things were changing and really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I think I'm going home first because I didn't (laughs) want to get stuck nowhere, you know. And then all of a sudden everything fell apart. But then during that process, we had more time. Like, you know, that's a kind of a year off, right? We had more time to talk. And as me and the producer started to talk more and we were going through scripts and notes, they said, hey, would you be interested to be more involved and maybe do four of our episodes and it'd just be you and Michael? And then it became, well, if I'm going to be there for that long and I'm directing, because the way Michael and I directed the show, we directed at the same time. We like cross-boarded the whole show. He didn't like direct the pilot and then I watched it. We did everything kind of hand in hand. Anyway, I said, if I'm going to be there that long, I really feel like I'm putting my imprint on the show and I need to have a bigger role. Then it went to, okay. So then I did more episodes. Then I became an executive producer. Mm -hmm. Then me and HBO started talking and it turned into sort of this big overall deal with Gilded. You know, you mentioned kind of when you came into the project originally, it was supposed to be two episodes. It feels like some things were already kind of in progress. For the time you guys got to spend uh, working on the show, like during COVID when you stopped down, like in what ways did the character of Peggy kind of change? How did you shape or like affect that imprint? Like you said, it was already in motion. Mm -hmm. HBO knew that they needed to work on that storyline to, Mm -hmm. you know, make it a fully evolved storyline. I think. I was the piece of the puzzle that they were missing. And between me and Sonia Warfield, the writer, Erica Dunbar, who is the black historian on it. And then obviously Danae uh, being very protective of that character. We were able together to kind of steer this ship to give it the nuance. Because I always say you need more than one in the room. My black Mm. perspective is different than Danae's. It's different than Erica's. I cannot speak for all black people, nor can they. Mm -hmm. So that's what gives it the layers of all of us having those experiences. Sometimes with our storylines, only a person of color can just bring in that little, that nuance, (laughs) that, that those pieces that no one, if you're not a person, you know, if you're not black, you ain't going to know that the housekeeper might be a little more familiar mm-hmm. and <laughs> kind of put her nose into things that, that would normally happen or be in tune to what are on the walls in this house, what kind of pictures, and also just being protective of it. So I think that that is why as a team, we were able to really get it right. I wonder, can you give us an example of like a point where you really kind of came in and were like, okay, I think we should do it this way. There's a few things. I definitely came in 
during the time when they were trying to figure out how is Peggy going to get into this home Mm -hmm. and live there and it makes sense. And around the time where there was a consideration of her pretending to be a maid Mm. and um, and well, could she be this? Could she, it was all these things everyone was trying to figure out. Now, the problem we were having is that what would really make sense, right? What is reality? And which the reality would be that maybe she would pretend that this was her housekeeper. Right. So how do we not do that and still not have people going, now, you know, that wouldn't make no sense. Right. (laughs) So Because I think the one thing that about Gilded that works is that we touch on the differences. We touch on the racism, Mm -hmm. but we're not slapping you in the face every second because that doesn't need to be what it's about. Right. Right. So I came in during that time when we all finally figured out how she was going to get into this house and how we were going to keep the dignity of her character and not make her the housekeeper or the maid, which would be typical and make sense. And then the kind of little things when I talk about me as a director, the things I can bring in, like when we talk about the shoe story, just very mm-hmm. subtle things like they had um, when we were outside in Brooklyn and it's the first time you see the black neighborhood, they had like some white cops that were going to be there. And I was like, uh-uh, yeah. mm. ain't going to be no, I'm not going to see no cops in this neighborhood. It's an affluent neighborhood. There's no reason for them to be here. Mm. It just... And I don't even think anybody meant anything by it. Right. It was just how they, you know, put background stuff in. But I was just like, subliminally, that is not something I want to see. That's out. So it's so interesting that you bring up that scene in particular, because I remember watching as Marion and Peggy exit mm-hmm. uh, and go down the block. And there are these like two older black men uh, who, I put are, them there. who are <laughs> yeah. sitting on the stoop. And they are watching so intently, knowing I'm not about to get in this, but I want to hear every single word they said. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just felt so natural. So it's just, it's just funny that you picked that because that was definitely a moment where I was like, mm, I would have been in the same spot. <laughs> what I like, I know this is terrible, what I like about my work <laughs> is that, <laughs> but I, those two guys, I handpicked them hmm. and I put the older guy, especially he was the one really like you could just read it all in his face. <laughs> and I'm like, I want y'all reacting, but you're not reacting too much. I don't want to be distracted. We did shots that featured them. That scene is one of my favorite scenes in the whole series that. Mm-hmm. And then when Agnes walks across the street. And goes into the Russell's house for the first time. Those are my two, like, I just love those scenes. They're so, 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 so good. And I mean, especially that scene with Marion and Peggy. Peggy is, you know, we've been talking a lot about this show. And I got Eric to start watching this show. Alexis and I, our producer Alexis and I had, we have been watching it, but. Um, I get it, Eric. I get it. Not, not your normal no. cup of tea. Go ahead. And I was a Downton Abbey person. And, and Eric is a crown person, to your credit. He does like he does like a good evening a a good like evening drama, but when I was like selling him on this show, one of the things that I said is I was like you know because I know Eric you like period stuff too, I was like Peggy's a character unlike a black American period character from that era that I had ever seen before. And it's not just because she's black and she's in this space or it's a black character between, you know, in that time between reconstruction and the Harlem Renaissance. Peggy also like, she has spice. She has independence. (laughs) She's headstrong. She's got like, you know, 
little secret love life. I wonder, you know, she's she's just a fully realized person. And that was what really uh-huh. attracted me to to the show and her story. But I wonder what parts of Peggy's experience do you identify with? Probably the same as most people, which is why people like it. It's like, how do I live in this? How, how do we navigate uh, this white world that we have to function in every day and be successful and come out of it still with our head up high with dignity and still speak our truth? And how do we go back and forth? And I think that that is um, definitely part of my experience as a black woman, especially as I've moved up the ladder in a space like this, right? With Mm -hmm. on an HBO show, on a mostly white show. Mm. Um, And I think that, um, you know, because we still, even as people, you know, even in this time, um, there's still a way that you got to flow through mm-hmm. life if you're going to stay there. And back then it would be if you're going to stay there and not get hung. Now it's can I just stay here and really keep climbing and be successful. What I do love about my experience at Gilded with Julian, Michael Engler, Gareth Neem, and um, David Crockett, it's sort of our little, uh, our, really our tight-knit group, mm-hmm. really wonderful people who, this is the one thing I can say for them, is that they they trusted me and my experience when you would get to stuff with the black storyline and even the other stuff too. But, you know, in particular that, if I go uh, ding, 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 <laughs> uh, no, that makes no sense. That's not happening. It, it wasn't a fight. Sometimes you have people mm-hmm. who think they know more than you and they couldn't possibly, and they all go, oh, okay. Because, it, you know, I, I, I know. It's great to hear that. You know, that for sadly, that is not the norm. You know, I think the the person who is, you know, trying to do that battle is the norm. Mm. To pivot a little bit, like, Brittany and I have been kind of having this uh, larger conversation. We've spent a lot of time thinking about just Black people in period TV shows and films, you know. And honestly, where they're directing or producing, you know, you have been involved in a lot of period work, whether it's, uh, you know, Winning Time is the 70s. Uh, Gilded Age is the 1880s. You know, Underground is the antebellum South. Right. I might be leaving some stuff out. I don't know. I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm leaving stuff out. I'm just saying, you've been doing this. You've been doing this. Throughout, like, all those different, you know, time periods, the experiences of Black people are so different and varied, which you, you, you even acknowledge as we've been talking. How do you start to think about how to tell the stories of Black people throughout history? Like, where does that process maybe start for you? Any piece that I'm doing, it really just comes down to telling the story at the end of the day, because it, it shouldn't always be about, like, the the peer, the time period is really just the backdrop, hmm. and then we're into the story. And I really like to tell a good story, and what are those details? And then I add the layer of how do I protect these Black characters as I tell their story? But it's also important to me that I don't try to sugarcoat things. There's this fine line. It's, just, it's really what I think we found in Gilded. You know, for me, if anything seems like when we're trying to figure out how does Peggy get into the house, house mm-hmm. if at any point you go, well, that wouldn't happen, or it just seems like TV out of, like, no, 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 that looks fake, then people can go, they can deny that that was really history. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. You know, yeah. like yeah. I think that the more we make where people go, Ooh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And it feels real. Then they learn something. Then it changes their perspective. As soon as it becomes fantasy, then they can deny our existence and truth in that time period. Uh, to, I mean, to that point, like the thing that's awesome about Gilded is like so many of the things are layered. You know, yep. you think about history is so separate. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I love the show is because you see kind of all those different elements that, you know, we've learned about in different chapters or, or pages. You see them kind of compressed. Yeah, it's just so exciting. So to shift gears a little bit, in addition to being a director, you're a veteran actor. And I know our listeners remember you from films like Mo Money, Low Down Dirty Shame, and Posse. My favorite performance of yours was when you played the lead in I Will Follow, which was Ava DuVernay's first narrative film. When researching for this episode, we noticed that not long after you starred in I Will Follow, you directed your first episode of TV. You directed an episode of Eureka, a sci-fi show which you were also starring in. And that made us wonder, where did your desire to direct come from? And when did you know you had to do it? You have definitely hit where it happened. It was while Mm -hmm. I was doing I Will Follow. And it was through Ava. I mean, we were shooting I Will Follow. And I had been, you know, I've been in TV for a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that, you know, though Ava had, you know, I think she had shot, you know, a few documentaries by then. Mm -hmm. I really had a, like, a lot of knowledge about how to shoot stuff more than I knew. Probably I was putting my two cents in too many times, <laughs> but because uh, you can tell I'm really shy. Um, but I think it, it, at some point, Ava looked at me during that process and said, hey, I think you're a director and you don't wow. know it. It was something about her kind of breathing that uh, life into me that I went, huh. And I, and I kind of thought about it and then. Uh, I realized I have been always been that actress who sat around the monitor, asked questions, wanted to know what was going on, always had the, the opinion like, well, I don't know why, why don't they just do this? And you could just do this. And why don't they do this? Shot? You know, <laughs> so I was on Eureka and I literally right after Ava says that I called uh, this director, Eric Lonneville, who's done hundreds of hours of TV, black director, mm. loved him. He had directed me before in Eureka. And I said, hey, can I shadow you? Um, I w- I'm going to ask my show if I can try this out. Mm. And then Ava gave me a bunch of tapes on blocking and books. And I just, you know, studied again. Yeah. And luckily, the producers and the network said yes to me directing an episode. And from the minute I, you know, started doing that, I went, like, like within the first week of directing, I went, oh, I think I get this. Mm. Like, it felt right, even though I was scared. And, you know, I probably look back at that episode now and go, ooh, what was I? That's not good. <laughs> you missed that shot. You should have done this. But I, there was something about it that felt right. And from then I knew and eventually I knew that I was going to make a transition at some point in my career. That's such a cool story. Just, I mean, honestly, just to hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you also ended up directing uh, a few episodes of Queen Sugar. I wonder, like, how did that experience affect your directing career? It, it's so funny because Ava definitely has been there at pivotal points that launched everything. And that's why I always 
bring her up. She was a person who sparked it in me. And then right when I was ready, so I was doing Eureka. I did my, I did two episodes there, but I was still acting and was on another, you know, I was on the series and my kids were young. It wasn't time to do it. Right when my husband, who was on Queen Sugar, got booked on the show and he's about to start shooting. Mm-hmm. I, at that time is when I had made the decision I was ready to direct again. And that now was the time to start making this transition. So I go visit my husband while they're starting, you know, starting production. I think is the first episode. As we mm-hmm. get out of the car on set, Ava's standing there. And I'm like, hi, we're, you know, we do all that. She goes, oh my God, I can't believe you're here. Let's go in the tent. I want to talk to you. I'm like, great. Mm. My husband walks away to get into makeup. We go into lunch and she goes, so are you still wanting to direct? I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just finished shadowing. I just got an agent and I know you guys are bugged, but yeah, of course I'm, I'm, I'm on the move. She goes, well, I can't do my episode. Do you want it? Wow. Wow. And I was like, Yeah. It's like, but it, it, look, yeah. And then it's all about being prepared, right? Mm. And then I hadn't heard from her in like a week. I was like, I had told my agent, my manager, because getting that was about to change my life. Mm. And then he's, and then a, like a week later, she calls me and in my mind, you know, y- you always think it's going away. She goes, yeah, so listen, um, I need you to actually do two. Wow. And I'm wow. like, inside, I'm like, holy hell, I haven't even done one. Yep, I can do it. And then everything from there, like, took off. It's a different Shadowhunters yeah. is <laughs> visual effects and also magic. It's like a whole big machine over there. And he goes, listen, there's going to be some visual effects stuff that you don't know, you know, that you may not know yet. He goes, but I know you. You did Eureka. I know how you work. I'll explain it to you. You'll get it. We'll keep moving. And while I was shooting there, it was going well. Another friend of his who had directed me on Eureka was now uh, over the magicians. And he was a director producer. He goes, hey, I see Sally's directing. I'm looking for a woman, you know, to fill a slot over here. How's she doing? He goes, she's doing fantastic. You should hire her. All of a sudden, I'm now on to that. And those kind of shows, all starting from Ava and Queen Sugar, those shows prepared me, especially because it was visual effects and action. Um, If I hadn't done those things and then mixed with Ava, which is all acting. So now I have the visual effects and now I have the acting and that Mm -hmm. really propelled me to some like American gods where now they're Mm -hmm. looking for someone who has all these different experiences. And then I'm off to the races. So, I mean, I'm curious, I got to ask, like, what did it feel like to have someone like Ava see something in you before you even did, you know, and then you say, yes, this is something I actually want. And she goes a step further and makes space for you to step into this new path. Like, what does it mean to you that those moments happened? Well, first of all, she definitely saw something in me that I didn't see in me, you know, and sometimes we need those people around us who, Mm. who can dream bigger than we can for ourselves. And I just think it's a testament to that, to this, you know, there's a myth out there that women in general and black women in general can't be friends, can't trust each other Mm. and can't support each other. And, uh, that is untrue. And it is not my experience. I have a lot of amazing, strong, uh, 
women in general, not just black women, um, but there is this group of black women who love me, support me. And, um, and it is, you know, and it's part of the reason that I'm successful and, um, and, and healthy minded, you know? Um, so it's really just, that's what I, you know, I think of and, and, and I will forever, uh, I will just forever be thankful for her opening that space for me because it is, my life has changed. Um, my life has changed. My family's life has changed the security, you know, being an actress, um, though things, you know, I was a successful act- actress, mm-hmm. but it was still like, you know, up and down, up and down as a director. Uh, I just have a different voice and I'm in a different space and I feel secure as much as anybody in the entertainment business can feel secure. <laughs> I feel secure for the first time in my life. Um, because I know, I know that I am not replaceable. I know it. Mm. I know that yeah. it has nothing to do with me being a black female director, though I do check off some boxes. I know at this point they're not bringing me in to do $100 million shows just mm. for that. They mm-hmm. know, even though they're lucky, they can check those boxes. They also <laughs> know she's better than all these people, and that's why we need her. Um, so it, it's just been, and isn't that, we just need our opportunity to get in there and show them what we can do. And yeah. it changes everyone's minds. Well, I mean, you're, you're very booked and busy. Like you are clearly <laughs> out there, uh, <laughs> most recently, you know, on the HBO miniseries winning time, yeah. you know, which is chronicling the like, you know, very famous Showtime, you know, eighties era of the Lakers. And the show has arrived. I, I have to say, like, you know, visually it's doing so much. The story yeah. is kind of wild. Like, the characters are, like, breaking the fourth wall. And, you know, it's obviously very, very different than the Gilded <laughs> Age. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, like, what attracted you to this project? And I'm curious, like, even from, like, a, a process standpoint, was it, you know, more desire for, like, even some of the visual challenges? Because it's, it's, you know, definitely doing a lot there. Or was it more the story? It's really becomes a mixture of things. I am uh, in my journey to grow and to create. I love a challenge. I love something different and bigger and things I've never done before. Uh, So obviously this show is that I've never shot on film. I've never, I mean, there's, we, we have, there's so many different styles in this, in the show, the talent, you know, you're working with all these movie stars and Academy Award winners. So that within itself is the challenge. Now it's Adam McKay. Uh, um, <laughs> right. And it's HBO's baby. Yeah. Uh, that right. show. So all of those were the reasons I had to be there. And again, it's almost this full circle kind of thing Then Rodney Barnes, who's one of the executive producers and he is um, and the writers on the show. He had written my American Gods episode. Wow. And that's how we got to know. Um, and I'm the only director that he recommended. He goes, bring her over here. She wow. can handle the, the scope of the show. And, you know, it, it, there's a certain point in shows like this. It becomes, can you manage this talent? Because there's mm-hmm. a difference when you have to deal with movie stars. Yeah. It's a different mm. balancing act. And that doesn't mean that every, I mean, I found most everyone on that show delightful. Um, but there is a different, 
way that you have to deal with them and get things from them and have them trust you. It, it's all a skill set. Uh, so just I'm saying all that because it was a challenge. Now, do I love the Lakers? Of course. Do I know basketball? <laughs> Played all through high school. Love basketball. Love that time period. I'm friends with Magic and Cookie, and a lot of some of those players are people I know and are friends, and I play golf with them because I've been an actress all these years, and we all mm. kind of know each other. So uh, hopefully they will speak to me after this. I didn't write it. It's not my fault. I'm just trying to get paid. Please forgive me. Hey. Uh, I'm just going to throw that disclaimer out there. Let girls do what you, do what you got to do. But... <laughs> Um, the, all of that is why I had to be a part of it. Okay. So, so your directing career is clearly on fire right now. Do you have any interest in film projects? Well, yes. First of all, absolutely want to do a feature, Mm. uh, and have been, people are coming to me with features all the time. Now I am on a mission to find the right Mm. thing. Uh, I think that when you do your first film, it's really finding the perfect one because Mm -hmm. it's just different. You know, it's not like it really is on you and what do you choose and is it good? It's going to define who you are as a filmmaker. So Mm -hmm. uh, I've found, you know, people have brought things to me that are good, but I go, it's not the one yet. So Mm -hmm. I'm in desperate search. So if anyone wants to send me something that you think is brilliant, (laughs) only brilliant, um, is what I'm looking for. For me, it's about, again, challenge of wanting to just do good stuff. That's what I love. You know, at least with TV, I get to try. I can, even as it's like being an actor, I can go here, I can go here, I can go here, I can go here, I can do this genre. I don't, Mm. I don't, when people go, what kind of stuff do you like? I just say really good stuff. Mm. I don't feel like I have to make a choice that I only do dramas. I only do half hour. I only do this because honestly, I can do everything and I like doing everything. It just comes down to, is the story compelling in that particular genre? We've been really excited by how many Black people and Black women are getting into the director's chair. Like, you know, in fact, multiple other episodes of Winning Time are directed by another Black woman director, Tanya Hamilton. Do you feel like that prestige level of opportunity is also there in the film industry for Black women directors or do you feel like there's still more work to do? There's absolutely more opportunity in TV. Um, you know, hmm. I think, you know, they keep putting, like, percentages up. We are not in the, like, our little tiny percentage of doing feature films is very low in film. Yeah. So it needs to get much better there. There's also many less movies that people are doing. There is a bigger space for TV. Yeah. So there's so much more opportunity because there's so many different platforms now. So there's so much work out there where we can jump in. Um, I think that the feature world um, has some catching up to do. So I'm hoping that they will catch up with me. But then, you know, (laughs) but, you know, as people of color, you know, women um, get more experience and we'll get more opportunity to, you know, because we have to be better and we have to have more experience it seems, to get those opportunities <laughs> than maybe other people who they just go, oh, you just out of film school? Oh, you just wrote something? You never direct anything? Great. Let's give you a movie. I think, you know, sometimes we have to work uh, harder at that. There could have been movies I was directing at this point. They just haven't been 
my uh, taste level after HBO uh, <laughs> is, um, it, it is, it's just high. And I want it, you yeah. know, I really look for something that's going to be special. I gotta say, I just, honestly, I, I love that, like, flex. It's so exciting to, one, see, just see you in a space where, like, you know what, you, you know your power. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, <laughs> you know your stuff. You're like, I've done, I have the credits. You can see my work. It is here. And, you know, I'm just almost waiting on y'all to catch up. I, I just was, I'm just happy. I'm just, I'm just happy. <laughs> you know, it takes uh, a long time to find your strength and power. Some of us a little late, you know, it's taken me into my 50s until I'm like, uh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Um, and I know that I'm good at it. And yeah. And that just is what it is. It's okay. It's okay to accept, uh, accept that you're good. And that's hard mm. for people to say, right? It's hard for any of us to just say, but I've, I've decided I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> like what's next? So, you, you know, I mean, you mentioned the taste. It's go, everything is, you're doing it. So like what comes after uh, winning time for you? Um, I think it's development, development. I have, you know, I have this overall deal at HBO. I've sold one project mm -hmm. there at HBO, um, negotiating another one at HBO Max. And it's about selling, selling, uh, doing my own pilots, developing my own shows so that I can have my own pod like Ava. So, and, and like Adam McKay to where people, and I'm giving opportunity to other filmmakers to, you know, to grow under my, you know, uh, under my company. And that's what it is. It's like, you know, it's right there. I know it can happen. I'm working at it. And it's, uh, it's, it's really about getting that first show made, uh, doing, and you know, or people bring me something and going on and doing their pilots. Uh, it's, it's really about just more growth and growth and, and all those things are scary because mm -hmm. then it really is all on you if it's good or not. And sometimes I think I'm crazy, but I just figured, you know, go big or go home, right? Go big or go home. I don't home. think you're crazy. Look, you know, <laughs> when when the right film script finds you, we will be ready to watch that movie. Okay, don't be we too hard waiting. on me when you see it. Uh, we got her on here, and, the, <laughs> no, and no, she no. said she was going to pick something special, and this ain't too special. I can hear you now. <laughs> oh, for sure. We got you. We got you. We got you. Don't worry, we, about we that. Know, Don't worry about that. We know your work. We're ready. Thank you so, so much again to Martine and Sally. They were so wonderful to talk to. I'm actually really hopeful for what's to come in period dramas now. Strangely, I am as well. And the <laughs> fact that maybe one day we'll get an all-Black period drama that toes the line of reality and lightheartedness in the way that we're looking for, one can dream, one can hope. Hollywood, call us up. We have got the ideas. We have really a do. bank account you can put a check into. Yeah, I do have that. That I do have. <laughs> so call me up. What do y'all think about this? Let us know. Let us you know, know where to find us on Twitter, at For Colored Nerds, and Instagram as well, at For Colored Nerds. We love y'all. Thanks for coming to the Petticoat Junction. See you next week. <laughs> For Colored Nerds was created by me, Eric Eddings, and Brittany Luce. It's supported by our production team at Stitcher, including producer Alexis Williams and social producer Elise Ellis. 
Marcus Hom is our engineer, and Peter Clowney is head of content. Our theme music is by Willie Green. And look, y'all, we love hearing from our listeners. We love you all so much. Seriously, it feels so good to be back with you. So please connect with us and tell us what you thought of this episode. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at For Colored Nerds and never miss an episode by following us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Issa as host Issa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.